Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. You know, I was listening to the news there, and I've been watching the, the news during the week on the parking garage collapse. And uh, I know right now they're saying movement in the soil caused the problem. And you can do soil injections and things like that. And I have messed with the soil injection stuff. And in certain cases, yes, it can help. The majority of the time, though, it's very limited on what it does. But more so than that, more than likely there was a little bit of movement in the soils. But the way parking garages are put together have always bothered me. If you've ever walked through a parking garage and you start looking at the way they use metal tabs in order to join sections together, you got to wonder how these things hold up. And it's not like this is the first parking garage to collapse. They're not designed for any type of movement at all. And I think we just, yes, we had a little bit of movement and it was more than the thing could handle. And we've got other structures that are built that way. And as time is going on, we're going to see more and more problems like this happen. And the main reason is everything is getting older. Our our bridges, our infrastructure, we're having issues with gas lines. We're having issues you know, with structures. And it's all because of maintenance on things. And, and and I'm in some volunteer organizations where they say, oh, the, you know, the city needs to do this and that for for these arenas and different things. You know, rodeo is one of the things I do. Just because somebody builds it and donates it to the city doesn't mean the city's going to be able to take care of it. Just because a parking garage is built as part of a commercial building does not mean it's going to be maintained properly. We do need to look at these things periodically. And I know one of the things they've talked about is starting to do regular inspections. They can't handle the inspections we already have. And and I'm not here to tell you what the solution is on this, but I will tell you there are some issues that we're going to have to start dealing with as everything is growing older. Old structures, the way they were built with the thick walls and all that stuff, withstood things much better than what we build nowadays. And when I say old structures, I'm, t- I'm talking about when we go back to the 16, 17 hundreds, the way stuff was put together actually held up better than what we're building. Or then I shouldn't say what we're building today because some of the building techniques have really gotten better. But the stuff we built in the late 60s, 70s, 80s, and start of the 90s, we did some real junk work for a while there. And it's starting to bite us. So we need to keep an eye on some of this stuff. And, like I said, use common sense. Hilda, how can I help you today? Hi. We're considering um, her making an offer on a house in the Arts District in Irving. Okay. And we're concerned that almost, I'd say 50% of the houses on this are either for sale or for lease. The houses were all built in 62. And I heard on the news earlier that with the parking garage collapse, that if 
you did not mix limestone with your foundation for the with the concrete for the foundation that houses are at risk of collapsing and then with all the houses that collapsed in the winter with all our whenever we had all that rain all the houses that blew up because the gas pipe shifted right is irving not a good place to purchase a house at this point in time irving is fine it, it's no different than any other place uh, as far as purchasing homes I will tell you, the soils in the Las Colinas area, which is right there as part of Irving, are some of the most active soils in the state. Uh, but would I be concerned about buying a house based on, on the things that they've been talking about? No. Because it, it, if you go into any neighborhood of that same age in any part of the Metroplex, you are mm -hmm. subject to the same issues. So as far as far as that limestone situation in, in the concrete, I, I, you, I think you misunderstood a little bit what they were talking about. They were talking about a soil injection to stabilize the soils under the foundation. What, what do you mean by soils are active? When, the, when our soils dry out, they shrink. When they get wet, they'll expand again, uh, but not quite as much as they were. Right now, we are so dry. If you go walking around outside... You're going to see cracks in the soil, mm -hmm. and when that happens, you're going to have movement of the soil, which can break water lines. It can break a gas line. It does shift the foundation. The simple truth is if we keep the soils moist, we keep them expanded, we don't have the movement. Okay, thanks so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Tom in Alvarado, how can I help you? Yes, sir. Uh Working on a room that's about 12 by 12, and it was added on way before I ever moved into this house, a concrete slab. And I pulled up all the carpet to put peels on the top. You started breaking up on me. You pulled up the carpet to put the tile down and what? And I noticed that whoever peeled up the carpet one time before to replace it. Uh, the tack strip had left little divots all along the sides of the floor. Yeah. Like this nickels or dime-sized, couple of quarter-sized divots. Yep. And then throughout the middle of the floor, there's some uh, ridges from swirl marks whoever trapped the concrete. Uh, you know, they didn't do it perfectly. Sure. <laughs> and this peel-and-stick tile that I'm putting down is it seems a little thin to me, so I'm wondering, do I need to worry? It, it is patterned, kind of a crisscross checkerboard, right. small pattern on the tile. If you can um, if you can feel the ridges from the trowel marks, it will come through on that tile. So okay. what you'll have to do is one of two things. You either have to take a, a uh, rubbing stone and grind it down, to take the trial marks out and then use a floor leveler to fill in the divots where the, you know, where the nails were around the edge. Or you can just take a floor leveler and spread it out on the whole floor and level it out that way before you put the tile floor down. Or the, uh, yeah, the... the uh, right, the peel and stick. The peel and stick down, yeah. Now the floor leveler, like you're talking about, if I spread it over the whole floor, do I, am I going to be troweling much like... 
a cement worker would if that first poured uh, the floor? Or? Yeah, you're not really troweling. Typically, when I use put a floor leveler down, I use a a uh, one by four, four feet long. Uh huh. And that's that's my trowel. Okay. And uh, you use a self-leveling one, but you you spread it out and get it as even as you can, and then the self-leveling will kick in. But again, if it's just little ridges from the trowel marks, I would use uh-huh. a rubbing stone on that. Yeah, it's a little. There's several little ridges, but they're you know two or three, four feet long. You know. Yeah, yeah, uh, but uh, a rubbing uh, that you got, you can use a hand rubbing stone. Uh, or if it's a bigger area, they actually make a walk behind that looks like a uh, what the old grocery stores use for waxing the floors, uh-huh. a buffer machine. Either one, but typically for the trowel marks, just a hand rubbing stone takes them off in seconds. Will my will my grind will my grinder work? Uh yeah, probably angle, angle grinder with a stone on it. Yes. Okay, and then the. Do you have a, a brand name suggestion? Uh, somebody told me to use Planet Patch, but then another guy said you got to be fast if you're using that stuff. Yeah, you don't have to. Any of the floor levelers will work. Uh, Quickcrete makes them. Mopar makes one. Uh, any of them will work just fine. Thanks for listening to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast. Now, I would love your help. If you enjoy listening to Texas Home Improvement anytime you want, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. Help us reach more people and grow the show in Texas and beyond. Please visit iTunes or wherever you listen and leave us a review. Kevin, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, uh, my question today is I've got a house that needs some foundation repair, and I've gotten three estimates, um, and they're really varied from seven piers to 20-something piers, and the price ranges from about $200 a pier to about $500 a pier. So I'm just wondering, what do you think, what's an average price on a pier? I mean, it seems like that's an awful lot of difference. It is. Now, before I get started talking, I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm one of the owners of Due West Foundation Repair. Okay, so, I haven't gotten an estimate from you guys yet. Well, then you don't have any good ones yet. I don't have any good ones. <laughs> I'm starting to figure that out. I'm a little bit slow, but uh, I'm well, at the table, I guess. Here's the deal with foundation repair. It's an unregulated industry. It, any, anything goes, and anybody can sell you anything. Uh, at $200 a pier, you're getting a chuck in a truck who's probably somebody who's not been in business very long and will not be in business because I can't hardly buy the material and labor for that. Okay. So right. I, I would dearly run away from one that's that cheap. Uh, okay. The the companies who've been in this industry for a long time, this is our Due West 40th year, and uh-huh. companies who have been in the business for a long time, they're going to charge a little bit more because they know that's what it takes to honor those warranties and to, you know, legally hire people and go through all the the right steps. As right. far as, you know, what you're looking at doing here, you got two things. One, make sure that a permit is pulled and almost okay. all municipalities are going to require a uh, an engineer stamp on the drawing in order to do that. Okay. One thing that's different in Houston area and all the suburbs like League City and stuff all kind of follow this same 
path, they don't require a full-blown engineer's report. All they want is a stamp on the drawing. Where if you go outside of Houston, you start getting into San Antonio, Austin, Fort Worth, Dallas, all the other rest of the state, down Corpus Christi, any place else you go, it's a full-blown engineer's report where the engineer comes in, does the plan uh, as far as the layout. Expertise okay. changes that layout. And a lot of times sales guys are trying to sell you peers and they got it in their head. The, the fewer peers they can sell you, the, the more likely you are to buy it. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense because I would assume less peers, less money. Exactly. And, right. the, and the way it really needs to be looked at is you happen to be the owner of the property at the time. You have to peer it for what the property actually needs because when it changes hands, one, you're dealing with another homeowner. And if you do this as an investment property and you shortcut yeah, it, 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 actually is, it actually is a rent house. Yeah. Well, if you shortcut it and sell it, they can come uh -huh. back after you. Oh, okay. So you, you want to make sure that things are done properly when it's done. It, that doesn't mean you got to hire the most expensive guy out there, but by that I mean, right. you know, don't leave areas off that should be underpinned. I got you. So, now, so let me ask you this. So it, it looks like, you know, the slab's kind of, you can kind of tell where they drilled through the slab on the driveway side. Yeah. And it looks like it may have had some repair before, However, I wasn't able to obtain any information from the previous owners, and I know usually those things are, are transferable warranties. Uh, I don't know the detail on how you transfer them or what have you, but uh, yeah. you did mention something to me about pulling a permit. Is there a way for me to check and see if a, permit, a permit's ever been pulled to see if I could get to the original people? Because it looks like they only did half the house. Yeah, Maybe you can. The other half needs it now. You should be able to go check with the city and see if there was a permit pulled for foundation repair at that address. Okay. All right. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, you know, when 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 it comes to foundation repair, like I was saying, there is a lot of fly-by-night companies out there, and I'm not going to say that everybody's bad because they're not. And there's a lot of different repair techniques out there. And the reason there is, is there's a lot of different types of repairs that need to be done. So I would not ever tell you that one repair technique is worse than the other because it depends on the application. The whole thing that you have to remember about foundation repair, it's a service. You are not buying something like a car is something that's manufactured on a line and you're buying an automobile. And whether you buy it from dealer A or dealer B, it's the same automobile. When you buy foundation repair, that repair job is only as good as the guys on the job site who did the install. And as good as the company who's backing it to make sure that it was installed properly. That is the assembly line. And that's what you got to remember when you hire a foundation repair contractor. So make sure you check out who you're hiring. My front side of the home facing west has four inch gap from the foundation. When I pull up the vans, I can see down almost 12 inches and four inches towards me. I do not see any cracks in the foundation or walls. Can I fill the gap with dirt? I do water, but I don't see the gap anywhere else. Okay.
typically, especially at this time of year when we're having such a dry spell, I'm going to tell you, no, do not fill that gap. In fact, most homes right now, if you walk around them, you're going to see a gap between the soil and the foundation. It may be a half inch, maybe three quarters inch, maybe two inches. There's going to be a gap. Four inches, that's a lot. But right now, everything is so dry that the soil is in a shrunken state. So if you fill those gaps with sand right now, when it gets wet and the soil expands again, you're going to cause other things to move. So this is not the time to be filling those gaps. You're going to see out in your yards right now as well, cracks in the soil. And some of those cracks, if you know, depending on how long this drought lasts, they could get quite deep. Uh, they've been known to be 15 and 20 feet deep. Now, normally, in a normal summer, they're only going to go down yeah, typically around 7, 8 feet. But the longer the drought, the further down they can go. And if you don't think we're in a drought, take a look outside. You know, the weatherman, they, they go by how much rainfall has happened in the year and all that stuff. But common sense, when you look outside and everything is burnt brown, tells you we're in a drought. When they're rationing water like they are already, we're in a drought. So, one thing to keep in mind. You can't water the yard with sprinklers at certain times because some areas, like where I live, we're already on stage three water rationing. But soaker hoses are exempt. A lot of people don't realize that, but when you use a soaker hose to water the foundation, it is exempt from the water rationing. So I highly, highly recommend that everybody gets your soaker hoses, get them around the foundation, and start watering. It happens to keep your flowers watered at the same time. Great. Uh, but it's there to water the foundation because what causes most foundation problems, there's really three things. One, the soil drying out. When the soil dries out, it shrinks. When it shrinks, the edge of the home starts to drop. Second thing, trees. Trees take moisture out of the soil. Soil shrinks. Foundation drops. When we're in a drought, the trees find more moisture under the foundation, so it starts sending more roots that way, causing this problem to accelerate. Third thing is broken sewer pipes. And a lot of people say, well, I don't see a, a broken pipe, and you know, I don't, I don't have a, a higher water bill. Your sewer lines are not metered. Yes, they charge you on your water bill for them, but they're charging based on how much water came into the home not how much exited. And when there's a sewer pipe broken, again, especially when it's a drought like this, the tree roots will start looking for that moisture and hit those broken pipes. If you have an older home with cast iron pipes, you are definitely more susceptible to this problem than a home with PVC pipes. But the Ys on a PVC pipe are notorious for getting cracks in them and breaking. So just keep it in mind, you want to keep the foundation watered. I said on yesterday's show we're going to be doing a new video this week on installing a do-it-yourself watering system. So we'll get that posted on Facebook and up on our website, thipro.com, so you can use it as a resource. Uh, we're probably not going to shoot it till Tuesday or Wednesday, so it'll be towards the end of the week before it's up on the site. Uh, but... It, it, it is coming, and uh, I really recommend you do it. 
yes, it'll cost you a couple hundred bucks for the parts. Trust me, that is way cheaper than hiring a foundation guy to come and fix the foundation later. And I know because I am one of those foundation guys. Paul, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Well, thank you. Um, I've got an old cast iron tub that's too corroded up to refinish. I need to replace it. And I was really just wanting to put another one in. How, what would you run into on a deal like that? I know how they get them out, but can they put a new one back in? You know, the hardest part of the whole thing is getting them through the doorway. Yeah. And many times what they have to do is is literally take the door frame off mm-hmm. in order to have enough space for it to get through the, the door yeah, opening. It's a two-foot door, and I can take the frame off. Yeah. And I'll have to remove the commode, you know, where they can have room to maneuver just a five by eight bathroom. Oh, no, but no. that's something a plumber will do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time. Okay. The, the commode just gives them a place to sit down while they're working. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the uh, you know, the biggest thing is they're, they're going to have to, is it tile around the, the tub? Yeah, it's old tile. And it's probably going to have to come off. Well, at least that first row has to come off because there's going to be a lip that sticks up about an inch and a half. And they ha- they have to you know get get to that to put the new tub in. Other than okay. that, the the rest is just hooking up the uh, waste and overflow. Mm-hmm. And there's usually an access panel on the back side of the tub for that. Yeah. Everything else is, you know, up above the tub. Okay. Well, I just wondered if that was something that was normally done. I know just you know setting the framed up house. I don't ever see anybody putting one in afterwards, but. Look like it'd be kind of like threading a needle, and I just wanted to see if I can get it done. It is exactly like threading a needle, and yes, it can be done. It's just work. Do you know any good plumbers you could recommend up in Montague County? Ooh. No. <laughs> no, I'm afraid I don't out that way. Okay. Well, listen, Jim, thank you for your help. You That's bet, Paul. Good luck with that. information I needed. You bet. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, and he touched on something real quick there that, the tub was too corroded to be refinished. A lot of times it is much less expensive to refinish one of those old tubs than it is to take it out and replace it because you are going to get into redoing tile. You got, like we talked about, take the door off and, you know, replace the framework, not replace it, but take it off and have it out of the way so you can get the door out because the tubs need more than two inch, two foot doors to get through. Typically, though, once you remove the casing of the door, you got enough room to get in and out with it, unless you go with a deep tub. So you're going to be, have to be careful about what tub you're going to bring in. As far as taking the old tub out, I don't worry about that because you can break the old one up and haul it out. Uh, with a sledgehammer, a cast iron tub breaks pretty quick. Let's go to David. How can I help you today? Hi, um, I have a freestanding vanity um, sink uh-huh. uh, as a granite uh, countertop and an undermount sink. The sink is broken, has a hole in it, and so I need to replace that and need to know how to do that. Is it it's a porcelain sink? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, if you look underneath, they're attached a couple different ways. One is just with an adhesive that uh, glues them straight to the bottom of the countertop. The other is with a mechanical device where there's some screws that are embedded into the granite countertop 
and then the sink goes in and the little bar or uh, lip kind of turns from the screw to hold the sink in place and then it's still kind of glued into place with silicone caulk. Have you looked underneath to see how it's attached yet? Yes, there it's epoxied on and then also the granite uh, countertop is epoxied on to the actual cabinet. Oh, somebody liked their epoxy on that one, didn't they? Yes, they did. <laughs> okay. Typically, and I'm saying typically because I'm not there looking at it, but typically in that type of situation, you're going to basically break that sink off and chip all the material off of the bottom of that countertop to clean it up and get it ready to epoxy a new one on. Right. If, it, if it was me, I would not do it. I, I'm going to tell you, call Stone Age Granite and let those guys come look at it. Because okay. you, you're going to run too big a risk of, of uh, breaking that countertop. Mm -hmm. And these guys know what they're doing and can change it out. And uh, They do even repair cracked granite countertops where everybody else says, oh, no, once it's cracked, it's done. They, these guys are really good at what they do. And if anybody can get it off and, and make it look right, it's going to be them. Okay. Well, I appreciate that because I, I knew that um, probably to do the best thing would be to remove the, the, the actual countertop, you know, turn it upside down on a, on a hard, flat surface so that I would minimize the risk of uh, breaking it. Yeah. But Yeah, the biggest issue that you're going to run into when you're trying to scrape it off is right there on the edge, you know, where the cutout is. As you're as you're cleaning it up, it's going to be very easy to chip that corner off. Okay. And that, that's, right. reading, that's reading I would just call Stone Age. Uh, their number is 972-276-9943. And, uh, you know, one of the nice things about them, and the reason I know they can handle this one, is where a lot of shops go to lasers and, and water jetting for doing all their cutting and stuff— when they do edging and all that stuff, they still do it all by hand. So it's still got that old-world look to it. Okay. Very good. That's the information I needed. Okie doke. Good that luck way I don't that. And I don't have to do it myself now. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, you still got to write a check, but that's a whole lot. Well, they, well yeah. <laughs> but I would probably have to write the check anyway after I went through all that work. So yep. anyway, <laughs> thank you very much. You bet. Take care. Uh -huh. 214-787-1080. My dad always says, you know, it's as important to know what jobs not to get as it is to get a job. Well, it's also as important to know which projects not to tackle yourself as it is to know who to get the job done by. And in this case, you know, like I say, I do most things myself. That's not what I'm going to tackle myself. Greg, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Thank you for your show and all that you do for us Texas homeowners. Oh, I appreciate that. My question today is I have the sprinkler or the uh, soaker hoses around my home everywhere that can be placed. And right now I'm manually going out there and running them, but um, I saw the idea of putting on these electric timers. Yep. And so I want to do that to be more efficient. But I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, how long, the how many minutes to let it run I'm currently uh, leaving it on as a slow as, uh, trickle as I can for anywhere in this heat, two to three hours a okay. day. I'm going to save you a bunch of money then. 
you need to get a pressure regulator. Drop that city pressure down to anywhere from 10 to 20 PSI. And they make a little plastic one that you can pick up at the box stores for about 10 bucks. Okay. And if you'll put that on there, put a battery-operated timer on it, uh, those will run you anywhere from $50 on up. Uh, get a good one because you want one that's going to be reliable. Those two items on that soaker hose makes it an automatic system, and you turn your hose on full blast. That pressure regulator will control the, the feed of the water and give you an even dispersal throughout the hose. Okay. I typically, on my directions, I typically tell you to start at 15 minutes twice a day. Uh, but because it is so hot and dry right now, most people um, are having to kick it up to about 30 minutes twice a day. 30 minutes twice a day. And you said 10 pounds for pressure? 10 to 20. 10 to 20, okay. Yeah. And um, what about in some of these hoses, they have the little blue restrictor, the round? Throw it away. Throw it take, away. Yeah, it's take it out. And, and when you put that pressure regulator on, uh, you're replacing that little restrictor. The whole reason for those restrictors, those hoses get a lot of water at the beginning and hardly anything at the end. That pressure regulator that you're going to put on balances it out where you get a nice, even water dispersal. And I'm, I'm actually going to shoot a new video this week as far as installing one of these systems and the components and how to make it work. You know, keep it 12 to 18 inches away from the foundation and stuff. And you'll find it on our website and our Facebook by the end of the week. Oh, perfect. Hello, Jim. I remembered a question I thought about from a comment you made to a listener. I'm in the process of choosing flooring for a new house, and the designer says that wood-look tiles are cheaper than engineered hardwood. Two questions, if you want to address them on next week's show. Are the tiles, in general, less expensive than engineered hardwood? And two, I'm a little concerned that the pattern in tile might repeat too often. Is that usually a concern? Thanks. Well, Brad... No, it's usually not a concern that the, that the pattern repeats itself. I've gone into several places that have the tile look wood where they're using like the five-foot-long planks now of tile. And I got to tell you, it's hard to tell if that's wood or not. I usually have to reach down and touch it before I'm sure. So as far as the pattern repeat, repeating itself, not an issue. Uh, as far as the cost difference, I mean, you can buy a cheap, engineered hardwood floor and of course it's going to look cheap so cost wise it's all going to depend on what you're buying for the engineered hardwood in general yes it will be a little less expensive and more durable especially if you're going to have pets in the house or kids in the house uh, it's going to be much easier to clean up than uh, it would be having the wood floors which the wood floors are easy to clean up but they get scratched uh, so uh, in general, yes, it, it's a great option, especially, and this is for everybody listening, kitchens. Don't put wood floors in the kitchen. And I know a lot of people are going to call me and say, oh, I've got wood floors in my kitchen. I love them. You are so susceptible to problems with wood floors in the kitchen. That's the reason I always tell you, don't put them in the kitchen. If they get wet, they're a problem. Plain and simple. That That's the reason I say it that way. Oh, excuse me, I had to cough there real quick. Uh, but wood floors in the kitchen, just the uh, the steam from the dishwasher can mess them up. 
a leaking sink can mess them up. Just kids spilling water and it not getting cleaned up right away can mess up wood floors in a kitchen. Wood doesn't belong in wet areas. Tile does. So hopefully that helps you out with that. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.